Tonight, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I was going to do the New Testament, and um, then I started looking at the verses, and the verses, and the verses, and the verses, and the verses. Holy Spirit's only mentioned 40-some times in the Old Testament, more than 200 in the New. Now, that that's... <laughs> What's your question? Yes, yes. Well, he he did seem to stay a lot longer on some than others. So he was, he, it talks about David being filled with the Holy Spirit and it never really leaving him. It talks about Moses being filled with the Spirit and God leading him. And so, so there were, there were some long term instances, but there were also some short term things. Some things like Samson comes to mind where he would come in real quick and then, and it would be like for just one event, and then he was gone again. And then he would come upon Samson for something else and, and was gone. So he kind of did both. Um, but I don't know necessarily that he stayed for a lifetime in anybody in the Old Testament. But it sure seemed that way, like especially with Moses. Moses is the one that comes to mind that's probably the closest to that. If if anybody, if it was true of anybody, it was true of Moses. So does that, that help? Okay. All right. Um, yeah, more than 200 times in the New Testament, it talks about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So I had a choice. Do I give you a few verses and skim really high level, or do I go a little bit more in depth and take some time? And so I've decided to take some time. So tonight we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the gospel and Acts. We may not even get to Acts. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's how much the Holy Spirit appears just in the gospels. Um, but what I want to do is I want to show you, not that the Holy Spirit is doing different stuff, but it's magnified. He's doing it more. He's doing it with greater power. He's doing it over longer term. He's doing things that he did in the Old Testament, but it's, it's like taking it to a whole nother level. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is active. In the New Testament, he's hyperactive. Does that make sense? And so tonight, I, I want to, I want us to look in the Gospels. And if we get to it in Acts, if we don't get all the way through Acts, that's okay. If we don't even start Acts, that's okay. I want to take the time to really, to really show God's Spirit at work because what it shows me is that His Spirit is heavily involved both in the life of Christ and in the life of His followers. And we see Him in the precursor to the Messiah. We see Him active in the life of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1, we read this a few weeks ago, verses 15 to 17 say, For he, this is the angel Gabriel telling Zechariah what John the Baptist would be like. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And we saw some of that this morning. How when Mary walks in the room and greets Elizabeth, John the Baptist in utero announces the arrival of the Messiah by leaping for joy. But I don't remember anywhere in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit came upon someone in the womb. Now, I know of times where God said that he had formed a child in the womb for his purpose. But I don't know of a time where it specifically says the Holy Spirit 
would come upon that child while he was still in the womb. That's something unique. In fact, only one other person it says that of. Can you guess? Jesus. Jesus. He's the only other one that it talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. In fact, um, that's, that's, what, that's actually the line from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, not even John the Baptist was conceived by the Spirit. But John the Baptist, even from birth, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't just something that happened once in terms of, okay, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit wasn't really doing anything until his ministry. Look at Luke 180. And the child, this is John the Baptist, grew and became strong in spirit. In what spirit, I wonder? Strong in the Holy Spirit that had filled him from the womb. And he's in the wilderness until his day of his public appearance to Israel. So we have a child not only being filled with the Spirit before he's born, but growing up in the Spirit, maturing in the Spirit until the day that he begins his ministry. We also see the Spirit at work in Jesus' life. And man, do we see it in the life of Jesus Christ. You would expect if God is going to be in human flesh, that God's Spirit would definitely be strong, that, that God's Spirit would definitely make his presence known in the life of the Messiah, and boy, does he ever. Matthew tells us, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. There's the conception of the Spirit that we were talking about. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We often forget. We think about Mary. but We often forget about Joseph. How would you like your future bride to walk home pregnant? And it wasn't you, but he's told by this angel, don't fear, God's doing this. And Joseph resolves, okay, this is God's work. I don't need to divorce her. I think it's really incredible. Sometimes I wish an angel would just come tell me what God is doing. But anyway, unfortunately, I just have to put faith in him. We see, we see the Holy Spirit at work from conception. We also see the Holy Spirit at work after Jesus is born in his baptism. Mark chapter 1 tells us John the Baptist is preaching. He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance and people are coming to be baptized in water. And one of the things you have to realize about John is he is the precursor. And so he doesn't have the full gospel, but what he has, what he does have is enough to say, you need to repent of your sins. He may not know everything, but he knows enough to bring people to the point of repentance. I mean, after all, isn't that what most of the Old Testament is about? Repent? Isn't that the most common word of the prophets? The call of the prophets is to repent. Repent of your sins. You know what you've done wrong. Repent. Turn away from it and turn back to God. And so we see even in the baptism, as he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. You know who unstraps your sandals? 
who put who gives you your sandals to put on. It's the lowest servant of the house. It's not just the one that is the most debased. It's the good-for-nothing servant that he can't handle anything else except holding a pair of shoes waiting on you to need them. That's the only thing that servant is good for. He can't do the math that it requires to add the checkbook and balance it out. He can't do the work in the fields to get plants growing. He can't do the housework to keep things clean. He can't do any of that. The only thing he can do is hold a pair of shoes. It's good for nothing servant. And John the Baptist says, compared to the Messiah, I am the good for nothing servant that can only hold shoes. And I'm not even worthy of that. Do you see the distinction here? <laughs> and, and Jesus said, he's the best man born of a woman. And he recognizes I'm nothing compared to the one to come. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days came, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Rest on him. And a voice comes from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I'm well pleased. Can you imagine the sight? Mark doesn't even know how to describe it. Luke and uh, Matthew also tell us the same story. They don't know how to describe it either. The closest they can come is it's like a dove flying down and resting on his shoulder. They, they can't explain it. But something definitely happened. God sent his spirit. Some people will say, well, this is the point where Jesus becomes God's son. That he's not God's son until this because the Spirit wasn't on him already. Don't you know he was conceived by the Spirit? He already had the Spirit. But now, but now all those folks know it because they watched it. They saw God putting his Spirit on him. It was as though God said, you know, I need to make sure everybody around here knows just how special this one is. So I'm going to demonstrate it to him. I'm going to give him a sign. It doesn't make sense for us to, for the Spirit to be in him and yet coming down on him. But God's in the present. He can handle that. So here you have, at his baptism, the Spirit making himself known. And then look at the next verse. Because immediately thereafter, watch this, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now what was he going to the wilderness for? Matthew 4.1. Same story. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Luke 4, 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. All three of them recount that he was tempted in the desert. And all three of them make a point of letting you know that it's the Spirit that took him there. The Spirit led him directly into temptation. No, the Spirit led him directly to the place to be tempted. I mean, after all, this same one would pray and teach his disciples to pray, lead me not into temptation. But God's Spirit led him directly to the place of tempting. We often think of the Holy Spirit as leading us to a place of blessing, that God is going to lead us to a good place, a place where God is going to pour out his blessings. And we often fail to realize that sometimes that blessing comes through temptation. Comes that, sometimes that blessing comes through trouble. Sometimes that blessing comes through things that we don't like. And, and God is looking at us saying, would you just go? Would you just go through it? Just go through it. Persevere. Because what I've got is worth it. Jesus 
would be tempted in that desert. God knew that. Spirit knew that. Let him anyway. In fact, uh, pull back up Mark 1, uh, 12. Just a couple, couple slides back. Do you see the, the way this is written? The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Where have I seen that drive out? The Greek word is ekbalo. It's the same word used of casting out demons. This isn't just a, come on, come on, come on, let's go this way. It's almost, it's almost a pick him up and carry him. It's God saying, this is my will. And Jesus following suit. I mean, after all, he is God. Here is the Lord of Lords, led by the Spirit directly into the place where he would be tempted. He resists the temptation. I bet, I bet the Spirit had something to do with that too. Since the Spirit wrote the words of Scripture that he used to refute all three temptations, even the one that's a verse out of context. And then Luke 4.14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all the surrounding Galilee. Not only does he go into the wilderness led by the Spirit, driven by the Spirit, but he comes back in the power of the Spirit to do his ministry. I wonder if him resisting temptation may have, may have had something to do with the Spirit's power being on him as he began his work. I wonder if maybe, just maybe, the power of the Spirit was leading him not only to resist the temptation, but to do the miracles, perform the signs, teach with authority like none who came before him. Well, I can answer that for you. Yes, that's exactly what's going on. Because then we move on to the teachings of Christ and we see not only Christ teaching in the Spirit with the power of the Spirit, but Him teaching about the Spirit too. John 3, He comes to this guy, or or He doesn't come to anybody. He's sitting there and Nicodemus comes to Him. It's late at night. One of the Pharisees by the name of Nicodemus shows up to Him and wants to have a conversation with Him. So, so Nicodemus comes by night and says, Rabbi, we know you're a good teacher and all these kinds of stuff. And Jesus just immediately hits and says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And, and Nicodemus is like, what? <laughs> how can a man be born again? How, how can you be born a second time? You can't be born twice. What are you going to do? Get back in your mother's womb? He, he, he doesn't get it. So Jesus says in verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot of discussion about what the water is, what the Spirit is. All I can say is, I don't want to be born of water without the Spirit. I don't care what the water is. I would be born of the water and the Spirit. I think he's actually referring to repentance when he talks about water because, well... Just a little bit earlier, John says, I baptize you with the water of repentance. There's one that's going to baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit. I think this is referring to both sides of the coin where you repent of your sins and you turn to Christ. Water, repent, spirit, being born of God. It's that, it's that working between God and man where God does his work in you and you comply with him. You agree with him. You repent. I don't know. I'm still trying to work it all all out. But anyway, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Uh, in other words, you were born the wrong, you were born wrong the first time. You need a second birth to fix the first birth, a birth of the spirit. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who's born of the spirit. It's not like physical things. It's something different. He teaches again about the Spirit in Matthew chapter 12. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks the word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, is that Christ saying, you can drag me through the mud, but don't bring the Spirit into this? No. Look, think about a guy named Saul, also called Paul. He lives his life slandering the name of Jesus, doing everything he can to stop the Christian church. But when Jesus meets him on the road to Damascus, there is a change. He repents of his sin. The Spirit comes on him and he's a completely different person after that. Because there is a point, there is a point where the Spirit reveals through this vision of Christ, reveals to Paul who Christ really is. And now Paul has to make a choice. And he chooses to repent. I think... I think that what Christ is saying here is you can you can have your misconceptions all you want, but when the Holy Spirit begins to talk directly to you and you don't respond, that cannot be forgiven. It doesn't matter what else you've done. It doesn't matter what else you've thought, what else you've said. When God starts to speak to your heart and you reject him, there's no hope, not unless God keeps working. There is a point where God says, that's it. You've, you've rejected me. That cannot be forgiven. That's what he's talking about, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a spirit here who, who might give chance after chance after chance, but once you've had your last chance, you've had your last chance. There's no more hope. God must take it pretty seriously to not forgive those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. It is. It's a rejection of him. He also talks about the spirit as one who meets you in the midst of your trial. Look in Mark thirteen eleven, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now we have a Spirit that not only leads you into certain situations, but we have a Holy Spirit who will give you the words to say in the midst of them. You're on trial because you've been proclaiming the name of Christ and making somebody mad? and they've taken you to court, and they're ready to sue the pants off of you? It doesn't matter. You just trust what God is saying. You're on trial in such a way that you're going to be convicted and killed for your faith? It doesn't matter. You say whatever God brings to you to say because you are speaking in and through the Holy Spirit. You're not. It's not just your mouth. It's not just your words. It's not just your mind making up the sentences. It's Him. So we have a Holy Spirit who gives us the words in the time that we need them to say the right thing at the right time. And it doesn't matter what the result is because we're following the Spirit. Don't fear the one that can take your life. Fear the one that can take your life and your soul. See, we have a Spirit that leads us, sometimes against insurmountable odds. Christ was healing someone, as he was apt to do. And Pharisees got mad. 
as they were apt to do. And they started saying, you're, you're, you're healing this guy by the power of the devil, by Beelzebub. And Jesus basically <laughs> says, is that the best you've got? <laughs> That's ridiculous. If a devil is divided against another devil, that's not going to work. And then he says this, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, and this construction is, and you know that to be true, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Let's play a little game. Let's say it is a devil. If I cast out devils by a devil, well, that the devil's just divided against himself. That's not going to, it's all going to implode anyway. As Lincoln said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. But if I do this by the power of God, then you know what the implications are. God's kingdom has come upon you. And I'm going to be honest with you. If God's kingdom has come and you are rejecting it, you're on the wrong side. See, we have him in these healings demonstrating the power of the Spirit. Not only to do the healings, but demonstrating that it it is of God. Now, don't just trust. Don't just trust the miraculous. We're going to read in Revelation that the Antichrist has his own miracles and leads many people astray because they get caught up in the moment, caught up in what's happening. But look at the whole body of evidence. Look at the teaching and the healings. Look at the way he's living his life. And all these things together point to him led by the Spirit. But then John picks up on something that the other writers of the Gospels don't. And that's the upper room. In the other Gospels, you have stories from the upper room. In John, you almost have a word-for-word transcript of the upper room. You almost have written down what happened moment by moment. Okay? You can imagine the rest of this has been bits and pieces and a little bit of narrative with a little bit of color commentary thrown in. You've been watching highlights of the life of Christ, except in Luke 1 and 2, he's really getting into details on those the conceptions and births. But, but for the most part, you've been seeing highlights throughout the Gospels. But then in John chapter 14, Jesus begins to teach his disciples, and you are given a moment by moment. It's like you're watching it happen. You're not just seeing the highlight reel. You've TiVo'd the game, and now you're watching it play by play. And what does Jesus teach them? He teaches them about being the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And then he tells them this. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Helper is the word paraclete. The paraclete is the one who's called alongside. He he is, this would have been the same word used of a defense attorney in a court of law. It would have been the same word used for a, a, a partner in a specific venture, the one called alongside. He's not just there to assist you. He's there to get you through it. An attorney doesn't help out his client every now and then. An attorney takes control of the client's defense. I'm going to get what I need from you if I'm your attorney, and I'm going to spearhead the effort, and you're going to come along for the ride. This isn't a, I'm doing it myself, and I've got this guy tagging along with me that helps me carry the heavy things that I can't get on my own. No, this is, he's in charge, and I'm just coming with him, doing what he asked me to do. I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth, 
One of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is to lead us in truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So here we have God saying, I'm going to leave you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave you. But when I leave you, I'm going to send the paraclete. I'm going to send the spirit of truth. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you and eventually to be in you. Now, what will that Holy Spirit do? Skip down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So now not only do you have someone who has been walking with you and teaching you and helping you and guiding you, but after he leaves, there's going to be one that dwells in you that continues that function. All this stuff that you don't get, because trust me, there was a lot they didn't get, he's going to help you with. All that stuff that you can't remember, well, he'll remind you. He's going to be the one to bring it to mind. You ever you ever been living life and you suddenly remember something? You suddenly remember a verse that you read or something that you 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 saw that was talking about what the Bible said somewhere? You remember that certain quote from that sermon or you remember something and it just it just nails right exactly what you needed. That's God's spirit doing that. Especially when it's his word. When it's God's word, the spirit of God is the one who is illuminating you, that helping you to understand it, giving you the meaning so that you know what it means and how to apply it. He's the one that points to that rotten spot, pokes his finger in it and says, this right here needs to get fixed. He's the one that takes that verse that doesn't seem that, that you just read and, and that you don't see a need for. And he puts it on a particular situation and says, that's why I take that verse so you can apply it here. He's the one that helps you pour over the scripture until you know that you know that you know that you have certainty in your faith as Luke is seeking to give when he writes his gospel. You see, he's the one that's going to teach you. He's the one that's going to bring to your remembrance everything that I've said. But not only that, look in chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. But when the paraclete comes, maybe your Bible says comforter. That's one idea of this meaning too. But I just like using the word paraclete because I don't, I don't think we have a good English word that describes it. So, so, Just work with me here. When the helper comes, when the paraclete comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So not only does he tell you all the things that Christ has taught you, he teaches you Christ. You see, we need someone. We need someone who's got such an understanding and grasp and knowledge, intimacy with Christ that he brings Christ to bear in every moment of every day of our lives. Guess what the paraclete does? Guess what the Holy Spirit does? He brings Christ into every moment. Oh, that's a completely different way of looking at this. This isn't just someone that's there telling you, you shouldn't do that. You're supposed to do this. Oh, no, it's much more than that. He's bringing Christ 24-7, 365, 366 in leap years. Every moment of every day, bringing Christ to bear on our lives. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And he will also bear witness. You uh, No, not only will he bear witness about me, 
you will bear witness about me too, because you've been with me from the beginning. You're, you're going to bear witness. Not only is the Holy Spirit in you going to bear witness to you, but the Holy Spirit in you is going to bear witness to others. We'll get there. It's going to come true. You know how I know it's going to come true? I've read the book. <laughs> and it starts to come true. Not only that, I've lived long enough to see it come true. Nevertheless, chapter 16, he, he gives five chapters in this upper room, John does. And it's just chocked full of, I mean, some of the best love scriptures. Some of the most impressive things that we remember about Christ's life come from this upper room. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. You want me to disappear. Why do we want Christ to leave? Christ, you're Jesus. You're walking with us. You're leading us in the way. Why would we want you to go? For if I do not go away, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him. And when he comes, here's an interesting thing. Here's an interesting role he plays. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. His is a role of conviction. Remember I said he puts his finger right in the sore spot? That's part of his job. Now, why would that be part of his job? Well, let's see what he convicts for. He convicts for sin. Now, why would he convict of sin? Because sin needs convicting, right? He actually tells us in verse 9, concerning sin because they do not believe me. They don't believe what I'm saying. They're not accepting the truth that the Spirit is revealing to them through my words. And so when the Spirit comes on you, it's going to convict them that they didn't believe. You know why Stephen gets stoned? Conviction. If Stephen had just been, just kept quiet and not preached directly at him that they killed Christ, he probably would have lived. But you see, the Spirit bears witness. And when the Spirit testifies about Christ, some people will not believe. And the Holy Spirit's going to convict. That's his job. By the way, if you're talking to someone about Christ, and they hate you for it, don't worry about it. That's just the Spirit working. Pray that he'll work more. Concerning righteousness, not only does he convict sin, that makes sense. Convicting righteousness? Convicting because of righteousness? Because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. This one is kind of hard to get at first. But remember, when Jesus goes to the Father, what example do we have of righteousness? How do we know right from wrong without God showing it to us? We don't. But how do we know righteousness if Christ isn't present? Because the Holy Spirit is. He's the one that shows us the way to live. He's the one that guides us in our steps. He's the one that helps us know the right way that, to, to help us know when we're grieving God, when we're opposing God, when we're turning our backs on God. How do we know that it's wrong? Because the Holy Spirit is there showing us it's wrong. But how do we know it's right? Because the Holy Spirit shows us it's right. Now, it may not be a right or wrong. It may be, it may be a right, okay, but not right. It can be, you know, there's nothing wrong in saying I'm going to go to this school or that school. I'm going to eat this food or that food. I'm going to live this city or that city may not be anything wrong with either choice. But sometimes God says, I want you in a particular place because of my will. And the Holy Spirit gives us the conviction to know I've got to be here. I've got to live here. I've got to go to this school. This is the right choice for me. Does that make sense? Concerning judgment. 
He convicts concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He's already judged. You know what that tells me? That tells me judgment is certain on anybody else that opposes him. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes them know judgment is sure. I still have many things to say to you, Jesus continues, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. He takes what's Christ, gives it to us. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Because he comes from the Father. Everything of the Father's is the Son's. Everything of the Father's is the Spirit's. Everything of the Son's is the Spirit's. And so what he brings us is all of God. Colossians, Colossians 2, 9 tells us that in him, in Christ, the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him. Did you catch that? All of God is in Christ. And you've been filled with Christ. Because you have his Spirit, by the way. Not only does he work in there, he works in the life of the early church. I'm not going to go through all these, but I do want to make a couple of quick notes for you so you can rest the PowerPoint. Um, Acts 1.8. We all know that, right? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. God's going to give you his power through the Spirit, and through that power, you're going to testify. And guess what happens? Acts 2. Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit comes, sits on them, and what do they start to do? They witness about Christ. And a whole bunch of people gather around and they're like, what's going on here? These guys must be drunk. And some are saying, no, this is, that's not it. It's something else. And they're arguing back and forth. And Peter says, "It's not. we're not drunk with wine. It's way too early for that. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Joel was talking about. And he begins to express what Christ has done and how Christ can save them from their sins. Acts 4, once again, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to speak. That, that's, that, that's a common thing all throughout Acts. Somebody is filled with the Spirit and they start to speak. And when they speak, they're either doing one of two things. They're either telling something that God has said or something that Christ has done. And oftentimes it's both. Look at, look at the Acts 2 sermon. Peter goes through the Old Testament and puts the life of Christ right beside it and shows they're, they're right in line with each other. The prophet said this, Christ lived it, and you crucified him anyway. But now, God's raised him from the dead. It's an amazing sermon. Maybe, maybe I should read that sermon. <laughs> they're asking God at the end of Acts 4 for boldness. You know what God does? He shakes the place up, literally. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. When the deacons are first selected in Acts 6, guess who they pick? Seven men full of the Spirit. You, you even got to be full of the Spirit to serve. Acts 7, one of those deacons, Stephen, is being stoned again for putting their sin right in their faces and God's Spirit doing the convicting. But as he's being stoned, he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Even at his dying breaths, he is still full of the Holy Spirit. This is a completely new kind of action of the Spirit. And the list goes on. The list goes on of, of times when God's Spirit overcame certain people. God's Spirit is the one that told Philip, go over to that chariot over there. And he ends up giving the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch. There are prophets that come 
One comes and predicts a disaster, a famine. And so they get relief and they send it in anticipation. Another one predicts Paul is going to be killed. He's going to be chained in Jerusalem and eventually die imprisoned. And that's what happens when when God decided it's time to get some missionaries. You know what he did? He put a spirit on the church and said, separate from me Barnabas and Saul. I've got a special work for them. When they tried to go into Bithynia, they went to, they came to Myasia and they went in to go to Bithynia and the spirit stops them and says, no, don't go that way. And then they get the call from the Macedonian, go this way instead. And instead of going into Asia Minor, they turn around and they go to Greece. That's a picture of repentance right there. You're going to go do something. God says, no, stop. And you stop and you turn around and head the opposite direction. That That's a repentance. That's being led by the Spirit. Wherever the Spirit takes you. It's not, well, Lord, let me finish what I'm doing first. That That's how this works. In Acts chapter 20, it's not just the superstars who are filled with the Spirit. Listen to how he describes the church in Acts 20, 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This is Paul about to leave for Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be bound. He knows he's going to be imprisoned. He knows he's not going to see these folks ever again. And he's giving them some parting words of advice. And he tells them, "Be pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Not only is God involved in doing these big miraculous things, he's also involved in setting the stage for the next generation, raising up leaders, filling the people in the church with the Spirit of God to do His work. I tell you, that Holy Spirit, He is heavily involved, isn't He? We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in the epistles next time. If you have any questions that you want me to answer, we're going to do kind of the last session, I think, will be kind of a Q&A of sorts. Um, I'm going to need a little bit of time to prepare. So if you will do me a favor and you will come with your questions next week so that I can have time to to make sure that I'm ready. I don't want to get up here and talk like a fool. Um, I'm really good at that, by the way. <laughs> but um, but if you'll if you'll give prepare your questions along with the hymns you want him to sing and we'll uh, and we'll we'll have those ready uh, when the time comes. But God's spirit is not just limited to the pages of Scripture. The same Spirit that is doing these miracles, that is that is living in the life of the Messiah, that is working throughout the Acts, all over the place in Acts. It's the same Spirit that God gives us. And while there are certain things that may be different, some things aren't. And that includes Him. He's the same. And so I pray that like Paul, and Barnabas, like John, like Christ, like the disciples, we too will be filled with the Spirit, led by Him, obedient to Him, and see what He does through us. Father, lead us by Your Spirit. Take us where You want us to go. Speak the words You want us to say. Convict, convince, illuminate. Father, do Your work in us. Thank You for answering our prayer. Thank You for being holy. Thank You for giving us Your Spirit that we may be holy too. Be with us in this week. Christ's name, amen.